It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt. Decisions about your future can be difficult, but at Falcon Bank, their trust department can make planning for tomorrow a positive experience. From estate planning to administration of trusts, including investment management and real estate and mineral management, Falcon Bank offers solutions with an honest evaluation of what you need. Call Falcon Bank at 210-489-4150 to discuss how they may be of service to you. This is Talk Law Radio, and this is where we help you discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. The State Bar of Texas is the state agency that governs attorney law licenses, and the State Bar wants attorneys to inform the public about the law. But because legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case, and because laws are ever-changing, nothing provided herein should be used as a substitute for the advice of competent legal counsel. Contact an attorney Uh, to get more specific advice. Before we get started talking about the show, let's begin with prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Please help Cheryl, John, and me give good information to the listeners about trust today. Help us to use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory In Jesus' name, amen. So today, we're going to be talking about trust law, and more specifically, the standards of trust distributions by a trustee for the benefit of the beneficiaries. And our guest is going to be Cheryl John, uh, who we have calling in today. Cheryl, are you there? I'm here, Todd. Oh, great. With you. I'm glad to have you. Thank um, you. Thank you for calling in. How is everything going? Well, everything's going pretty much the same as it always has been. Um, I know that there's protocols out there for, you know, the COVID virus and everything, and we've been implementing those as well. But we've been working straight through this. Good. Let's just remind the listeners a little bit about what you do, uh, just in case somebody new is listening today. Okay. I'm a senior vice president and trust officer with Falcon Bank and uh, manage pretty much the operations and administrative portion of the trust department. Okay. And how long have you been with Falcon Bank? Um, Since 2001. So almost 20 years. It'll be 20 years next year. Oh, great. That'll be a big milestone to celebrate. It will. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you do before that? Well, I, I was a trust officer um, with another institution and uh, pretty much have been in trust since 1980. 
So back in the, you know, primordial times. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it it just proves that you know what you're talking about. (laughs) And you also went to St. Mary's. I did. I I went to St. Mary's undergraduate and also had some law school. Unfortunately, I had um, some family members that were um, suffering with cancer at the time. And so I had to drop out of uh, law school and go find a job. So fortunately for me, I, I did. I found one in trust, and the gentleman who hired me was somewhat impressed with my law school and figured that I could be of help you know, to him in researching things. So I found my little niche in, in trust. Great. Tell us a little bit about Falcon Bank. Well, Falcon Bank is located, the main office is located in Laredo, but we have branches all throughout South Texas. Um, Again, our administrative function and operations function are here in San Antonio. Um, The head of our department is located in Laredo, and he does a lot of mineral management and real estate management uh, for properties in Laredo. Yeah, and and I'm sure that's necessary and needed in texas lots of people have mineral rights that they might want to pass down to their heirs or their beneficiaries right correct correct great so we're going to talk about specifically today distribution standards for trusts Uh, but before we get into those specifics uh, let's discuss uh, more basic things just to uh, set a background. Sure. Um, how would you define what a trust actually is? Well, to me, a trust is you have to have five elements. The first element is the grantor or the settler, and that's the person who's going to establish the trust. Then you have to have a trustee, somebody who's going to administer the trust and follow its directions according to the third element, the trust document. And this is what you as the attorney draft for the benefit of the mm-hmm. settlor to, you know, lay out his wishes, so to speak. And then you have to have property. The settlor has to transfer that property into the trust for the trustee to manage. And, of course, the fifth element is the beneficiary who is the person who's going to benefit from the trust. That's a great definition. I like those five points. I want to remind everybody this is Talk Law Radio on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, and we have Cheryl John, trustee at Falcon Bank, uh, talking to us today by phone. Um, If you have a question about trusts or trustee or distribution standards, give us a call at 210-308-8867. That's 210-308-8867, and Cheryl and I will try and answer your question. So you had those uh, five elements of what makes a trust valid. Um, I tell people that it's an agreement between the the person that created the trust and the person that's going to manage the trust property for the benefit of a beneficiary. And so that could be for all kinds of different purposes. So when somebody says, I want a trust, I ask them, well, 
What kind? What do you want it to do? Do you want it to benefit you, or do you want it to benefit some other people? Um, because really a, a trust can accomplish anything that's legal. Right, Cheryl? It has to yes, be legal. Exactly. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I cannot violate the statute of frauds. <laughs> right. It's got to be in writing, and it also can't violate the statute of perpetuities. Yes. Which is sort of confusing. Although some of, them, some of these dynasty trusts are getting pretty close to it. Yeah. So what, how would you describe a dynasty trust? Well, these these are the trusts that are, you know, they're for beneficiaries that um, go on for, I, I well... Generations, right? Generations, yes. Um, one of the most interesting ones that I have seen lately is a trust where it's based on the last descendant of a person who isn't even related to the trust. Yeah, I've so, seen that before, too, yeah. uh, where well, the really strange it, the trust refers to the, the Rockefeller family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's yeah. always difficult to, to explain to a client because they, they say, why are the Rockefellers uh, mentioned in my trust? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but if you want it to last a long time, that's a good way to do it. It is. It is. Okay. So th- those are the basics of a trust. Uh, some other basics would be uh, whether it's going to be a living trust or a testamentary trust. Um, a living trust right. would be created during lifetime. A testamentary trust would be created after the settler, the grantor, or the testator passes away. Uh, We'll get into the specifics of uh, trust distribution standards after we take a break. But just in case you forgot, this is Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt, talking to Cheryl John from Falcon Bank. And this is 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Uh, Stay tuned. You've heard him on Talk Law Radio. Now work with his firm yourself. Marquardt Law Firm is the go-to firm in San Antonio for wills, trusts, and powers of attorney. Want to have a say on who will get your money and assets when you die instead of leaving it up to a judge? Then you need a proper estate plan in place, and Marquardt Law Firm can help you do just that. It can also develop a strategy for your long-term care financing and help maneuver the complicated Medicaid process for your family. Call them today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation. Call 210-530-4278. Again, that's 210-530-4278. Protect what's yours with Marquardt Law Firm. MarquardtLawFirm.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt. We're here with Cheryl John, trustee with Falcon Bank on 930 AM The Answer, talking about trusts. And now we will talk about trust distribution standards. Uh, Ms. John, how would you describe what a trust distribution standard is? Well, it's various terms used in the trust document to determine under what circumstances um, 
distributions may be made. So you could have uh, a mandatory standard, and that would be something where it says, you know, the trustee must pay all net income no less than quarterly to the beneficiary. So when you're looking at that, you you can see that the trustee has no discretion to say, well, you know, we'll pay it whenever we feel like it or we'll pay less than the net income. You know, it says that it's a mandatory distribution of all net income to the beneficiary no less than quarterly. So the only little leeway you might have there is you might want to pay it monthly. But that's a mandatory standard. That means... The trustee Mm -hmm. must do it. You have to. Yes, exactly. Then you can have a discretionary standard. And now that one is a little bit different in that it gives the trustee some discretion as to what gets paid out. And you can have under a discretionary standard what's called an ascertainable standard. And this is a term that's used so that if the beneficiary is the same as the trustee, and you make a distribution under a, an ascertainable standard, then the amounts that are distributed out are not going to be included in his estate. So that would be for a tax purpose, setting yes. it up that way. Yes, yes. So what what I found is that deciding on trust distribution standards like these can be based on a number of factors. Of course, you can make up your own reasons for doing or not doing something, but these are some common reasons that you might choose one over the other. And the first one would be, what's the purpose of the trust? Is it for you? Is it for them? Is it for your spouse? Is it for your children, your grandchildren? Is it to encourage them to do something or discourage them from doing other things like using drugs, alcohol, or gambling. And then, like you said, about whether or not the beneficiary is also trustee. That's sort of a confusing proposition for people um, when you allow your beneficiary to be their own trustee um, because it's, it's like the beneficiary has keys to the safe. Um, But in some circumstances, that might be preferred. Um, Number three would be whether the person setting up the trust, the settler or the grantor, has a preference between the current beneficiaries or the remainder beneficiaries. And then another factor in choosing a distribution standard would be whether you have a preference for uh, objective reasons for making distributions or if you want it to be subjective, which is a discretionary standard. So we'll talk a lot about discretion. Mm -hmm. So those are our standards and letting the trustee know what he or she must do or can do or is allowed to do. So you you mentioned one circumstance when mandatory distributions might be used. Um, You you mentioned net income. Um, That might be for a marital-type trust if you want 
uh, a trust for your spouse. Do you do you see trusts like that in your line of work? Oh, of course. We we see that quite a bit where that terminology is used in the trust document, and not just for a spouse, but also for children, um, where all net income is is um, distributed out of the trust. And, of course, this has some um, good points to it in the fact that if you take all of the net income out of the trust, then it's taxed to the beneficiary rather than to the trust, and overall the taxes that are paid are not as substantial as they would be if they were left in the trust. So that would be, you're talking about federal income tax. Yes, yes. When the the trust is Mm -hmm. doing its job, you can have the beneficiaries pay according to their tax bracket, or you can have the trust... Uh, file its own income tax return, which is a 1041 instead of a 1040. Yes. And then it, it has different tax brackets. It does, and it runs through those brackets quicker than an individual does through an individual's brackets. Yeah, I like the way you said that, runs through those brackets quicker because they're more mm-hmm. compressed. Mm-hmm, yes. The other thing, too, is, you know, you can have a mandatory distribution principle as well. I've seen this in, a, in several trusts. And it's interesting because there's very little discretion left to the trustee. I've seen one where it was health and education, and then at age 30, one-third of the trust, at age 40, one-half of the trust, and then the balance of the trust at age 50. The unfortunate portion of this is if there's anything that comes up that impacts that beneficiary that isn't health or education, the trustee has no discretion to make a distribution. So even though the person who created the trust wanted to maintain this trust for as long as possible until the, he figured the beneficiaries would be mature enough to handle it, you know, all of the little things that happen during a person's lifetime were very limited as to what we can actually pay out. There could be a change of circumstances. Mm-hmm, Yes. You know, if we had a crystal ball and we could predict every single thing that would happen over our lifetime, then then maybe uh, a document could be not very flexible. Um, But I always tried to build some flexibility into a trust so that it can account for the beneficiary's change in circumstances. Yes, we we prefer to see that as well. We, you know, have seen trusts too where beneficiary says, okay, pay $400 a month to the beneficiary for their lifetime. Mm -hmm. Well, you can imagine that if this trust was drafted back in 1980, maybe that was something, you know, $400 Mm -hmm. a month, not too bad. But you take it forward, you know, to present, and $400 is barely anything. Right. It didn't take into account inflation. Exactly. Yes. So you mentioned... Uh, net income. Mm-hmm. Where, where does trust income come from? From the investments. So when you have the trust corpus come into the trust, um, the grantor specifies how the trust is to be invested according to what powers are given to the trustee. And so those you know, assets are invested in stocks, bonds, real estate, um, oil and gas, maybe whatever was um, originally 
granted to the trust or what the trustee goes out and, and does as an investment. So that's where the income is produced. A trust can own anything you or I can own, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's yeah. sort of what determines how much income's coming into the trust. Correct. And it would be the trustee's duty to decide how to how to invest, right? Yes. At yes. least most of them are. I'm, I'm most sure of that them a are. trust exactly. could be drafted so that there's not very much flexibility in, in what the trust owns. But um, I try and make that flexible, too, because mm-hmm. the what's popular today to invest in may not be a good investment, you know, 20 exactly. years from now. So Plus new new sorts of investments, you know, also come into being, you know, back in 1980 when I first started, you know, we were limited as to maybe what we could invest in, whereas now, you know, you have ETFs and other forms of investment. So, you know, it's always good to have that flexibility built in so that you can adapt to a changing environment. And there's the, uh, the code, the laws that sort of guide the trustee in how to make good investments, right? They have some standards they have to meet. Yes. The prudent investor rule is, um, you know, usually used. And that means that you should invest like a prudent investor would. Yes. Prudent meaning that you research, you try and do what's best, as as far as you you don't want to lose any money, but you right. want to try and get a decent return on your investment. Exactly. Yes. So you're not going to go out and buy junk bonds or something yeah. of that sort. Nothing yeah. too risky. Right. Okay, so that's what will produce income for uh, like a in mandatory income standard. Um, we see that a lot with marital trusts. Um, one one reason to have a marital trust would be uh, maybe what I've seen when people are interested in a marital trust is if it, if you have children from a prior relationship and you have a new marriage or a new relationship and you want to take care of your your spouse or your significant other if tragedy strikes and you pass away but you want to make sure that whatever's left in that trust when your survivor passes away is already designated to certain beneficiaries. Exactly. Yeah, you're just protecting your own children. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so uh, sometimes it's known as a qualified terminable income trust, uh, which is a fancy term for a specific trust that the, the IRS uh, has regulations over. Yes. Okay. Um, then the opposite of mandatory would be discretionary, right? Yes, and that's where the, the trustee has some discretion. And again, using an ascertainable standard helps with that. And that's, you know, typically what we see is the HEMS standard, HEMS, health, education, maintenance, and support. And so that's an ascertainable standard that both the courts and the IRS use um, to make sure that you're making distributions 
for those items that are permissible. Yeah, the the Treasury regulations say it's a clearly measurable standard under which the holder is uh, accountable. So examples of powers limited by an ascertainable standard would be, like you said, health education, maintenance, and support. Um, Sometimes the the trust document will say support in reasonable comfort, maintenance in health and reasonable comfort, support in his accustomed manner of living, course education, including college and professional, and health and medical, dental, hospital, and nursing expenses, and expenses of invalidism. So we have to take another break. This uh, break will be three minutes. Uh, Remember, this is Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt, and we're talking to Cheryl John from Falcon Bank about trust distribution standards And this is 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Stay tuned, and we will come back after this break to talk about uh, discretionary standards, ascertainable standards, and more subjective standards. Stay tuned. Back to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt. We're here with Cheryl John, trustee with Falcon Bank, talking about trust distribution standards. And we just finished talking about mandatory distributions, and we're just getting started with uh, discretionary distributions. Um, but I wanted to go back to uh, the second marriage scenario that I was talking about when. We were talking about uh, marital trusts and qualified terminable interest trusts. And I wanted to mention that since Marquardt Law Firm is a sponsor of the show, you can go to uh, www.marquardtlawfirm.com to learn about more about second marriage type situations when you might want to look at a trust. There are five unexpected problems upon the death of a remarried spouse that you can read about there. And uh, if one of those situations resonates with you, you might want to call an attorney to help you out. Cheryl, you still with us? I'm still here. Okay, so I looked it up on the Google machine, and I saw a definition from Oxford Uh, that described uh, what discretion really is. Um, Some people think discretion is when uh, you know something about your boss, but you don't say. (laughs) That's one type of discretion. Um, Another type of discretion is the freedom to decide what should be done in a particular situation. So it's just like, um, do I drive this way or that way? And so the trustee can be given broad discretion and how they make distributions for a beneficiary. And so I tell 
my clients that this is one of the reasons that you need to choose somebody, a trustee, that you trust, that has uh, similar values or they know uh, how to do a good job. Because if they if it's not somebody you trust, then they can just not make any distributions, and that would be within uh, well, it could be within discretion to do or not do that. So, what are some of the the guidelines that uh, a professional trustee follows when they uh, look at a discretionary standard? Well, one of the things, you know, we look at, of course, is the document. And in a lot of cases, even though it will have that HEM standard, the draftsman of the document has gone on to um, lay out some of the grantor or settler's um, wishes within the document. So you could have something like, you know, uh, invasion of principle for health, education, maintenance, and support, uh, education to include not only secondary education, but trade school or, you know, going on to vocational. study for a Ph.D., vocational, um, you know, to where it, it's identifying exactly what the grantor wants to do in this case. In other words, education could include travel. It could include um, lodging during mm-hmm. the interim between semesters. You know, so in those cases, we love to see that because then that really helps us in in making a decision because sometimes a child will come and say, hey, you know, I'm going to college, I need a car. Mm -hmm. Well, if it's delineated in the document, we can say sure. Or, well, you know, it's not there, let's think about this. Exactly what are you going to use the car for? Right. That type of thing. So. And do you need a Corvette? Or a Chevy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's when you start looking at how much is in the trust. <laughs> right. So there's other factors you have to look at. There are, yes. In in deciding whether to make a distribution or make a purchase or or pay for something. So there's a lot of court cases about discretion because it's it's broad. It's not it ascertainable. Uh, well, a discretionary standard like you're talking about, health, education, maintenance, and support, we did say was ascertainable. That's something that you can sort of pin down. Um, but there you can to, to some degree, but then there are also non-ascertainable standards, and those get into some some pretty interesting areas as well because, you know, you could have a document that says, you know, uh, invasion of principle for my spouse's happiness, for her comfort, you know, for her welfare. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at that point, then it's pretty much uh, the Up your to the ability to, to scale back, you know, a beneficiary is not there. So this beneficiary has a lot more leeway in their distribution requests, you know, and you have a lot more leeway in making up your mind as to whether or not to make that distribution. So So you can imagine a beneficiary who says, I'm not quite comfortable yet. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And in those cases, sometimes the, you know, the grantor knows what he's doing and, and 
wants to make sure that his spouse is taken care of in all of her happiness, mm-hmm. you know, and he's not interested in having, you know, the remainder go to the kids so much as he is in provi- providing for the spouse. So, you know, there are instances where you can see kind of where the grantor was coming from. But that could create a problem, too, if you wanted the trust to be uh, protecting assets from yeah. creditors, and judgments, case, and liens. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. that, that uh, can it, be a problem. Then it's not really a spendthrift, right? Right, right. So how would you describe spendthrift? Well, spendthrift trust means, or spendthrift clause in the trust means that you can't pledge the trust against your your debts. You can't pledge it as, you know, collateral in a loan agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's got creditor protection so that creditors can't come after you and say, well, you know, you owe us this, just go to the trust and, and ask for it, you know, make your payments. So that can create a, a problem. And I did see uh, a court case about that. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a Texas Supreme Court case from 1957 where the, the state wanted to be reimbursed for certain medical expenses paid to a beneficiary, and the executor and trustee of that trust said, no, we can't pay the state of Texas because you're not included in uh, the distribution standards. Uh, but the the state agency said, this isn't a spendthrift trust, and so uh, these medical expenses should have been paid by the trust. Mm-hmm. And so that that was an important case in defining what discretion is, and it also pointed out that uh, if it's not a spendthrift trust, it's not going to protect you from creditors like that. Correct. Um, yeah. But one one of the quotes I pulled out of this case, it, it was uh, State of Texas versus Rubian, which is the name of the person who was trustee, said that uh, the discretion with which a trustee of a support trust is clothed in determining how much of the trust property shall be made available for the support of the beneficiary and when it shall be used is not an unbridled discretion. His discretion must be reasonably exercised to accomplish the purposes of the trust according to the settler's intention, and his exercise thereof is subject to judicial review and control. Mm-hmm. So there, that's when you know there's a lawsuit, either by a creditor or it could be a beneficiary who's upset that they're not getting enough, right? True. Yes. Yes, that's correct. And unfortunately, again, you know, going back to your crystal ball scenario, we never know exactly what the future holds. So even though the grantor's intent is one thing, you know, circumstances can change. You know, just like in this case with medical expenses, um, you know, you hope that you are covered, but you never know what your out-of-pocket expenses might be. Yeah, some people I talk to uh, about their children, they they have uh, very high esteem for their children, 
They mm -hmm. think that uh, they never do wrong and nothing bad is ever going to happen to them. Um, but I, I try and point that out. Circumstances may change. They, there could be an economic downturn, you know, like yeah. the pandemic that nobody yeah. knew was coming. Uh, there could be a business setback. Um, there could be a, a tragic, unexpected illness or accident. You know, anybody that drives on 1604 has <laughs> probably should have their estate planning done. It's like a war zone out there. That's true. Okay, so um, some of the factors that a trustee considers when exercising discretion is is like what you said before, the size of the trust estate, the beneficiary's age, life expectancy, condition in life, the beneficiary's present and future needs, uh, the other resources available to the beneficiary, including their their work, their income, and the beneficiary's present and future health, both mental and physical. Mm -hmm. So these are things that your trustee, if you appoint one, should be considering. And uh, when we come back from our break, we'll talk about the differences between individual trustees and corporate trustees. Again, this is uh, Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt, with uh, Cheryl John, trustee for Falcon Bank. You've heard him on Talk Law Radio. Now work with his firm yourself. Marquardt Law Firm is the go-to firm in San Antonio for wills, trusts, and powers of attorney. Want to have a say on who will get your money and assets when you die instead of leaving it up to a judge? Then you need a proper estate plan in place, and Marquardt Law Firm can help you do just that. They can also develop a strategy for your long-term care financing and help maneuver the complicated Medicaid process for your family. Call them today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation. Call 210-530-4278. Again, that's 210-530-4278. Protect what's yours with Marquardt Law Firm. MarquardtLawFirm.com. Todd Marquardt, your host of Marquardt with your sponsor, Marquardt Law Firm. Uh, this is uh, 9.30 a.m. The Answer, and Cheryl John is on the line. She's the trustee of Falcon Bank, and we've been talking about trust distribution standards, and I wanted to get some feedback from uh, an actual corporate trustee to talk about the differences between an individual trustee and a professional trustee. Well, one of the main differences is with an individual trustee, they can die. They can move away. They can decline to serve. Um, if you choose an individual, you probably better know them very well and have, you know, absolute trust in their uh, ability to not only handle the trust, administer it, you know, but also make good decisions in regard to your beneficiaries. Um, with a corporate trustee, one of the nice things is that if your trust officer dies, there's always somebody there to take over. Mm -hmm. um, you know, trust corporate trustees, you know, being any type of bank or... Uh, Could be a trust company. Trust company, thank you. Um, yeah, anything like that, you know, they're, they're monitored. They're audited. 
in our case with the, you know a bank were examined not only by the FDIC but because we're a state bank also by the state so you have people watching over you know what's being done in addition to that we have trust committees we have trust committee of the board so there's that constant monitoring so you're not going to find the same problems that you might encounter with a personal trustee of an individual trustee with a corporate trustee and if somebody decides yeah I don't have anybody in my family that I would name and I I definitely want a trust company or a bank or a financial institution to do this what are some things to help them choose uh, between one or the other well I would say you know one of the things to look at is is call up whoever it is that you're interested in naming and talk to them and, and let them know exactly what it is that you want done. Let them know what assets you're intending on putting into the trust. Um, talk to them about how much they would charge. Ask them how the trust would work. Um, you know, they, they can go through pretty much you know, we receive the assets, you know, we'll invest this way, uh, you know, make distributions according to the terms. You know, and they can kind of lay out like a kind of like a timeline for you as to how that trust would work throughout, say, one year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at least then the person has that idea of, okay, this is what is to be expected. So, you know, again, just communication. Does it... Do you find that some people want the trustee to be local? I've um, heard that. They they say, well, if my beneficiary needs something, they want to have a more personal connection than maybe with a national bank. Well, and that that's true in the very large banks uh, as far as people saying, hey, you know, I, I want somebody local, because what you're finding with the, the larger banks is that they're doing what they call hubs, and what that means is that within a certain city is the entire trust department and everything is done over the phone or through the Internet or, or whatever. Um, so in those cases, with those individual settlers or grantors, yes, they do want somebody local so that their beneficiary, you know, deals with the same person each time they call. Because with a lot of these hub call centers, it's just whoever you get, you know, they'll pull up the document and then pretty much, you know, go through what your request is and how long it's going to take and so forth. So at least with a local um, bank or trust company serving, then at least then that beneficiary has the ability to go visit in person, you know, once COVID is over, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, deal with uh, an individual on a more personal level. Yeah, I would think that if you're going to be denied a distribution, um, at least you feel like you've been heard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes, that, that, exactly. that the trustee knows you and yes. is uh, going to explain, you know, why not this time. Well, and and that's true. It's just like, you know, with my customers, I have some customers that have been with me for a very, very long time. And, of course, they appreciate that fact that their trust officer hasn't changed, you know, um, hasn't moved away or uh, whatever, you know. So 
at least they're dealing with the same individual. They know that when they call up that I'm going to know them by name, you know, that I, I know their voice, I know their situation, and they don't have to explain it each and every time they call. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I've heard from my clients, um, sometimes they have assets that banks don't want. There, there are some uh, trust departments that only want liquid assets that they can put into a, a brokerage account. Uh, and then there's other trust departments that will deal with real estate and mineral management like oil and gas. Exactly. And that's why you really need to call and talk to, you know, somebody in their trust department. Again, communication, you know, letting them know what the assets are in your proposed trust. Because uh, those assets might be part of the legacy. Exactly. Uh, especially in, in Texas when uh, our some of our uh, residents feel like that their identity is in the land or in the mm-hmm. minerals that have been with the family for generations. Exactly. Also ranches. I've I've had a, a couple of clients over the years that wanted to make sure that, that that family ranch or recreational property could be used by family and extended family, even though really it's not going to be producing income or um, financial uh, benefits to the beneficiaries. They just want to keep it in trust mm-hmm. so that it's not sold to the highest bidder. Exactly. And that's understandable with so much of you know real estate being, you know, divided up into subdivisions. You know, you can understand that. A lot of that portion of the hill country, you know, you're finding that people want to either put their land into a trust for the benefit of their beneficiaries or put it into some sort of trust that will benefit wildlife, um, you know, however they manage to do it. Yeah, like a, a, for conservation purposes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so those are some other reasons to uh, have a trust and to design those uh, trust distribution standards. Um, we're into our last segment of the show, and you might remember, Cheryl, that since Marquardt Law Firm sponsors the show and uh, at Marquardt Law Firm, the attorneys focus on uh, last wills, living trusts, estate planning, and probate and trust administration, that we like to talk about legacy. And I, I'm a big fan of helping people accomplish their goals through their legacy. We, we want, you know, whatever they want to be remembered, we want to try and make that happen if it's in regards to their assets or providing for their beneficiaries generations from now. But legacy can also mean uh, your ideas and, and how people remember you and the impact that you made on others. So how would you describe your legacy? Well, it it really hasn't changed since last we spoke. (laughs) I'd like to be remembered for being of service um, to other people, uh, however I I can. Um, Being a trustee is, is very rewarding in some instances because you can see the progression of an individual from 
say, uh, a child, you know, to age 25 when their trust terminated and just watch that progression, watch how they mature. So it's it's very um, rewarding in that regard. So I think my legacy, I would like to be remembered for being of assistance, of, of support, of being of service to others. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So if you're out there listening and you haven't yet completed a last will, living trust, or estate plan, uh, now is the time to get it done because the future is uncertain and everybody over the age of 18 needs to have a written plan of how somebody would could take care of you if you were disabled or incapacitated and how to pay your bills and manage your income and your finances uh, after you pass away. So it's a good opportunity uh, now that you know that these things are important to contact an attorney and get it done the right way. Um, There's lots of wrong ways to do things, and so you want to make sure that uh, your estate planning is done uh, in a professional way and that it's comprehensive. I wanted to talk about some other reasons that I've I've seen people putting things into trust, and one is for their own good. So you have um, settlers and grantors and testators who love their beneficiaries and they want to make sure that they're provided for, but maybe more money will just cause more problems down the road. If uh, the beneficiary is not good with money, uh, you don't want it to just all be spent at once on the wrong things. It's good to have a trust so that somebody can manage that for them or just dole it out a little bit at a time over the lifetime. Another good reason I've seen is when the uh, beneficiary is disabled. If they have uh, a developmental disability or an intellectual disability or a, a mental disability and they're not going to be able to save for retirement, I've had quite a few clients who wanted to set up a type of pension by putting assets in trust so that that uh, loved one would have sort of a retirement plan uh, once they get older because we can take care of them while we're still alive but after we're gone then we'll need somebody to make sure that they're financially provided for Cheryl thank you so much for joining well, thank us you. and I appreciate uh, it if you have questions about uh, trust administration you can always call Cheryl at Falcon Bank and uh, you're here with Talk Law Radio and Todd Marquardt, and we'll see you next week.